We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The separation of more than 2,000 kids from their parents as part of Donald Trump's zero-tolerance policy has captured the attention of the world. The president's executive order ending the separation policy has not tempered the reaction. And we want to hear from you on all that's happened. This is your chance to weigh in on a national story. And what are the local implications? Lots to talk about with you and our guests. Christine Walentic is a staff attorney with St. Francis Community Services. It's affiliated with Catholic charities and works with undocumented families. Meredith Rittage is the site director and bilingual therapist with St. Francis. And Dr. Joan Luby is professor of child psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Meredith, let me begin with you. Can you give me something of an overview of the undocumented uh, population here? Sure. St. Francis Community Services has been working with the undocumented community for over 30 years. So we've had um, lots of clients that come through our doors, predominantly from Mexico, but also from Central America. It's a large undocumented community um, in terms of providing services, perhaps not in terms of the national conversation. Um, Numbers are kind of hard to come by since people don't necessarily want to report that. But we have, um, at our agency, we serve a large amount of Spanish speakers who need a wide variety of services. Um, They need to be connected with resources. They need legal care. They need bilingual counseling. And we also have an after-school program for them. Do, Do many families come in? Are we talking primarily about individuals? You know, I think uh, that answer has changed over the course of the years in St. Louis. I think originally you saw individuals coming and settling first, and then their families have come to join them. And right now we see both individuals coming and um, and families crossing the border, some of them being detained together and some of them being separated. So, Christine, are we dealing with any kind of a similar situation here that is existing on the border now in terms of separation of family members? Well, we haven't seen... Uh, that much of it here yet because the people that were separated have not been reunited with family members. Mm-hmm. What happens is they are placed in the custody of the government and they are resettled or reunited with a family member, not a parent, but a guardian, a sibling, of aunt and uncle. So we have not started to see that. We've seen a few families, but I haven't. I expect that in the next month or so we will see it. Do many of them get arrested? At this point, I think majority of my clients were all detained at the border. Um, for all our recent arrivals because of the stricter policies. So we are not dealing here essentially with the same kind of situation where there have been recent arrests under the zero tolerance policy and kids separated from their their parents. We're seeing them after they've been detained and after they're released to continue with their removal proceedings in their cases here in St. Louis. We are also seeing people who are detained in St. Louis who have been here and have um, contacted immigration searching for them and have arrested them. Are there immigration courts here to deal with it? Our immigration court is in Kansas City, and so that's our for both Kansas and Missouri. Those who are detained, where are they held? In the St. Louis area, they're held in Lincoln County, Montgomery County, and Pulaski County, Illinois. Okay, well, I'm going to turn to Dr. Luby now. Uh, you're having to sort of diagnose from afar, but you've been watching what's been going on down south. Can you give me some sense of what these people are, are, are going through from your perspective? Well, I mean, 
So my objective as a child psychiatrist is to promote health and to make children well. I think if your objective was to make children sick, both physically and emotionally, the experience, what we're seeing happening at the border would be the formula to do that. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're seeing families where children are in transition. They've been taken from their home and they're, they're, they're traveling with their parent in dangerous circumstances. They reach the border. They're frightened. They're stressed. And then to, as a young child, to be separated from your caregiver um, abruptly, not know where your caregiver is, that is just an incredibly intense stress. And basically, um, it's child abuse, full stop. That's a, a phrase that I've heard many times in connection with this. Uh, I've also heard that this is something that stays with youngsters possibly for the rest of their lives. Is that's, Absolutely. That seems a stretch to, to me in mm, some ways. That's not a stretch at all. I mean, we have a lot mm. of research now both um, in animal models, looking at humans, looking at children who have been in facilities like um, institutional settings where we've looked at the effect on their cognition, on their emotions, on their brain development. And these forms of early adversity have enduring effects lifelong. What about the effects on the adults? Extremely stressful for the adults as well. Extremely, And I think we've heard narratives of this, uh, of mothers who are separated from their children, who are just inconsolable, who are in intense distress. Um, so yes, it's, it's absolutely very stressful for the adults as well. Meredith, can you give me any sense of, of what you're seeing along these lines, uh, uh, the, the kind of uh, torment, if I can use that word, that these people are going through? Sure. You know, our, the most of our experience comes from working with unaccompanied minors that are coming mm -hmm. across, and the children that have been separated from their parents are going to be coming through that same system and have come through that mm -hmm. same system that we're working with. So what we see is children who have experienced an intense amount of trauma in their home country, and then significant trauma also in crossing the border, and now you're adding more trauma being separated from parents for that subset of children. Mm -hmm. And then just the acculturation stress of coming to a new country, learning a new language, being united with family members who maybe you knew before, maybe you didn't, mm. um, and, and adjusting to what those relationships look like, what it means to go to school and not speak the language, and maybe have not had the education that, you, um, that we would have had here in the United States up to this point. So maybe you came in with a third grade education, but you're supposed to be in high school right now. Christine, what sort of resources are available to help these people at, at any stage of, uh, of, the, of the process? We have different resources. We have legal services in St. Louis. My office does um, representation, free representation for our clients um, who are mostly U.S. Um, unaccompanied minors as well as mothers and fathers who brought their children with them. They made that decision to come because they didn't feel like they had a choice. And we find we try to find connect them with resources through Southside's um, work as well with case management, um, finding therapy, finding medical care. A lot of them have never received any medical care in their mm -hmm. home countries. What, uh, what can you tell me about the kind of stress that you see in these people? I see a lot of stress with my clients. I mean, they the uncertainty is really where the stress comes in. They're not sure what is going to happen to them and how long they're going to be able to stay in the U.S. If they're going to be able to stay, they have that fear that they will be killed if they're returning to their home country. And yet sometimes under our laws, that that doesn't qualify for our asylum. If they're undocumented and they are in this country, uh, that is against the law. Are, are they typically sent home, sent back? 
if if they can find a way and what we try to do is we work with clients to find ways under our laws where they do qualify when people come here because they are afraid of what has happened to them in their home country and they have a legitimate fear of going back we are we fight their cases we go in front of um, the immigration courts and ask for asylum and I would say, um, you know, the average is about 50% of cases are approved in the immigration courts of asylum. Well, the attorney general said this past week, I guess, that uh, asylum is no longer going to be granted. That has to be putting new pressure on, on you and and them. Yes. he. The announcement last week has made it harder for us, for the immigration attorneys and, and the clients themselves, these cases there's limiting the ability for people to stop, but we are not stopping the fight. We're going to continue to try to challenge this and to fight it and find ways to also fight for our clients and to stay. Dr. Luby, I think it would be very, very difficult for any of us to understand what these people are going through. There's so many impulses coming at them, strange, strange land, strange language, strange people that they're dealing with, and now they're hearing uh, things coming out of Washington that puts further stress and strain on them. Absolutely. I think it's an incredibly stressful situation, particularly for a young child, just given the amount of instability, the amount of fear, the amount of uncertainty. Um, it's, it's really extraordinary. What can be done to repair the damage? I'm getting a little bit ahead of the story here, but at some point, that's going to happen, have to happen, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, step one is to reunite these children with their parents. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think we know from what we've been hearing is that um, the formula to do that is exceedingly unclear. And it sounds like there may be children and parents who will never find each other again. So, I mean, that, that would be the most important fundamental thing, and to do that as quickly as possible. The situation is further confused by the fact that once the separation order was signed, and I, as an aside, I point out that the word separation was misspelled on the executive mm -hmm. order, just out of uh, a note of interest mm -hmm. here, but uh, th there really is no detail as to how all of this is going to be uh, unfolding. Absolutely. And it sounds like there's really no tracking that these mothers and fathers have no idea where their children are. These children have no idea where their parents are. There's been no system to even attempt to um, keep track of it or to link these children with their families, which is, which is just hair-raising, horrifying. Meredith and Christine, how did I'll start with you, Meredith? How how does this uncertainty work with and for you? I mean, you have to operate under whatever rules exist at any particular time. Yeah, you know, this is this is what we deal with every day. Uh, the rules change all the time, so it's kind of it, this is how we function. Uh, you come to work and and you're ready to address whatever the situation is, but we work in a team. So luckily at, at St. Francis Community Services, we have a legal office where we can consult on what does this really mean for our clients legally, and then they can refer back to us and say, okay, then what kind of supports do they need? So I'm working with one of our case managers who's going to be one of the contacts. So if you have a family member who's been separated and they're here in St. Louis, if the child's here or somehow the parent makes their way here, then our case manager is going to have to be one of the people that's working to find ways to reunite them. But, you know, we have some excellent staff members who are really practiced at workarounds. We work with an undocumented community quite a bit, and they don't have all of um, all the resources that are available to everyone. So we, we kind of know the ins and outs of working with that community. Christine, what kind of legal workarounds are there? 
Well, we're working a lot because of the unaccompanied minors. We're working with asylum. We're also working with children who haven't been reunited with family member, their parents, a legal guardian, or maybe one of their parents abandoned them or in their home country and they can't reunify with them. And we're able to help those children through a status called special immigrant juvenile status. So we're looking at any way we can find through the legal system to find them a way to stay here in this country. Dr. Luby, we're talking about uh, kids being separated from their parents uh, for extended periods of time. It would seem to me that it would start off being a bad problem for the child initially, but only get worse the longer that they're separated. Absolutely. I mean, you know, basically you're taking a child and you're separating them from their primary caregiver during a period of time when they're desperately dependent upon their primary caregiver. And the longer the duration of that separation, the higher the risk is to the child. What about the situation that's likely to exist on the basis of this new order, that they'll uh, uh, re, uh, reunify, if I can, wrong word, uh, parents and their children, but keep them uh, detained and keep them behind bars or cages, whatever you, whatever you want to call them. Um, that's going to just exacerbate the situation, it mm-hmm. would seem to me, together, but still caged. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's in you know, but the entire operation is completely inhumane. I mean, the idea that uh, that the parent and child would be together is of course a better situation than separated, but to incarcerate the parent and child after uh, this type of stressful transition again is is still exceedingly stressful yeah. and unnecessary. I have to take a break now. We'll do that, and I want to ask members of our listening audience to get into the conversation. Uh, this is something that everybody's talking about. This is a, a talk radio program, so we'd like to get you talking about it with us. Give us a call to 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you would prefer to send a tweet, we'll take that at STL on air. Back in a moment to continue the conversation, this is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Christine Glentick, staff attorney with St. Francis Community Services. Meredith Rattage is the site director and bilingual therapist with St. Francis. And Dr. Joan Luby is professor of child psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine. Christine, I have to come back to you because I just learned during the break, I didn't know this, that uh, you were recently down in Texas and visiting some of these detention centers. Tell us what you saw and what your reaction to it was. Yes, I was down about five weeks ago, a group of us from St. Louis um, through our American Immigration Lawyers Association local chapter went down to Dilly, Texas, to the South Texas Family Residential Center, where approximately at that point there were 2,100 women and children detained. Um, we went into that facility and uh, assisted the mothers with preparing their asylum claims, explaining to the asylum officers why they have afra- af- they are afraid to return to their home countries. Um, and prove that they have a credible fear in order for them to be released. Give me some sense of of how these people were reacting to their situation. It's difficult. In some ways, they're a relief to have someplace safe as they've made that difficult journey to the United States from their home countries, mostly from the Northern Triangle. Um, But they're also asked to trust people and explain the horrible, horrific things that they've experienced 
they've experienced in a matter of a week where they have that trauma and they're not ready to tell their stories. They don't want to really reveal everything because they're afraid. They don't know what if they have to go back. What if someone hears about it in their home country? How is that going to affect them? So there's a lot of trauma. Where you were, were there children and parents together or were they separated? It was mothers and children. This facility, there's three f- facilities at this point in time. Um, two in Texas and one in Pennsylvania for specifically women and children. So the children are not exposed to the kind of thing, where the separation anxiety that uh, we're talking about. No. How, how were they, the kids, reacting to their situation? Um, it was difficult. A lot of them were sick. They, a lot of them had different um, illnesses, and they were also just, I think, the exhaustion. They are in school. They're receiving daycare um, you know, able to play outside, although it's extremely hot there. So, you know, there's that trauma. They're missing their families. They're missing if they left um, grandparents or the other parent back in their home country for some reason. It's a difficult thing. And and how would you describe the 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 um, physical area in which they were placed? These are. This is a. It was meant to be a temporary facility. Um, it's a bunch of modules, so it's um, just buildings connected through rails um, or through bridges you just walk in it's it's you know a lot of different buildings in the area um, but very enclosed in there's it's gated and they have to have permission they have to be with the parent to travel around the children they can't just have the freedom to move around Uh, acceptable circumstances in your view not to have families detained Hmm. the situation the facility in general it it seems to be most people have been um treated well Um, by the staff there, but to have families detained, I don't believe is just. We have a number of calls coming in. I want to take them, but I want to go back to Dr. Luby with regard to how this anxiety, and perhaps that's the wrong word, but I'll I'll call it that, amongst amongst the children. How does that present itself? Well, I think I would call it intense adversity. So um, it's certainly, I mean, it's a trauma. So, I mean, these kids are, are frightened. They are um, some of the pictures that we've seen of, of children just in intense distress, um, leading to the point of confusion. Some of them, you know, can't even talk. Um, it's just a it's it's a, a really adverse circumstance. It would be pretty easy then to to spot and diagnose yes. someone who's dealing with uh, this kind of adversity. You'd you'd have to be you'd have to be extremely insensitive to miss it. Anything to add to that, Meredith? I'm going to take some calls. I believe just even in St. Louis, a lot of the children end up um, in public schools, and their teachers are easily identifying children that have experienced this trauma and, and need services. So you're right. You'd, you'd have to be blind not to see it. Okay. Well, let's take a couple of calls and get folks into the conversation. We'll start with Anne calling from St. Louis. Anne, uh, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, there are so many children that are in and so many women, uh, even men, who are in bad situations, either politically in their country or socially. And there's no possible way we can take them all in. And I think we need to help these countries rather than putting on sanctions or whatever to um, evolve into decent civilizations, Uh, especially with the threat of global warming the amount of people that are going to have to leave their farms, leave their countries to just exist is overwhelming. And as much as my heart goes out to these people, uh, it, it isn't the final answer. The final answer is making their countries viable. And um, I don't know how we do it. I don't think we do it by cutting them off. I don't think we do it by sending um 
drug dealers back to their country of origin. I think that just adds to their problems. Or sending gang leaders back to their countries of origin. That only adds to the gangs in those countries and makes things worse for the people. And thank you for your call. appreciate your time. Any written, you're nodding, uh, Christine. I would uh, definitely agree with that. I think a lot of the people don't want to leave their home country. They want to stay, but they don't feel like they have a choice. And so if we could help them and do something to improve the situations, to control the violence that they're experiencing, the poverty, then I think there would be less immigrants coming here. We have a clip from one of the uh, members of our audience who called uh, over the last day or two on this subject. His name is Jay. He remarks uh, about something that he thinks should be done in this regard. Yes, my name's Jay, and um, I would propose helping these folks out in um, in their home countries. I don't know why uh, we can't give them more aid and uh, maybe more police assistance, uh, beef up their military and police, and if the concern is MS-13 and gangs, let's uh, let's deal with those guys. Let's not have open borders. Well, that's uh, Jay's point of view, and we should point out that uh, not everyone is totally sympathetic to these uh, migrants because uh, they feel that the law has been broken and therefore the law has to be uh, directed against them in this way. Go ahead, Mary. You know, I... I think that we can all agree that what's happening, whatever policy we put into place on our border, it's really a Band-Aid, as a lot of your callers mm-hmm. are saying, right? And I think they're right that we need to look at what's happening in the home country and maybe even take a hard look at what our country's interactions with those other, with our history, right, with those mm-hmm. countries and what we've done to create the situation. But I do want to echo what Chris said and say that a lot of our clients would agree with, with this sentiment. They don't, this is not their first choice. Mm-hmm. It would take a lot probably for a lot of us to leave the United States. So you can imagine what it takes for these clients or these um, these immigrant families to decide that they need to leave. Mm-hmm. So what we hear from children every day is that they miss terribly their home countries. They miss being able to go out and play with their friends, to go grab a soccer ball like they mm-hmm. used to. Or you'd be surprised how many children talk about going down to the river. And these are children from different cities in different countries, but many of them mention just what it was like to have a free day at the river. They mm. really miss that. Mm. Uh, Dr. Luby, giving a soccer ball to a kid who's in custody, is that going to help that child? Or uh, giving them any kind of uh, uh, facilities that will help them feel more like children? Well, it's certainly not going to hurt them, um, but it's, it's not going to meaningfully change the situation. Yeah. It seems pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, take another call. Dave joins us. He's calling from St. Louis. Dave, thanks for waiting. Dave, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I've got, I'm curious. It, it seems to me that an awful lot of this problem is simply due to the fact that our justice system can't promise these people, can't process these people fast enough, so that they're spending months and months in detention because they can't get a hearing before a judge. How fast could you process these people if you had judges and a court infrastructure to handle the problem effectively? Christine, why don't you take that one? <laughs> it's true that um, there aren't a lot of resources, and processing people while detained is one of the issues with this latest executive order, is if they're going to indefinitely detain the, the families while they're processing through the asylum process, it's going to be months, and we don't have enough judges, we don't have enough resources on the border. How fast? I mean, unfortunately, with a, to prepare with their due process, um, to prepare enough of 
a complete asylum claim, they're going to need time to be able to meet with attorneys, with prepare their case, be able to argue what is the reasoning so it can be clear to them, um, and they can't do that from a detention center. And it's going to happen in Kansas City with regard to people here. You indicated earlier. How do they? How do they get there? Who? Who? Tra- is, is ICE have a presence here in, in in Missouri? We do have we do have an ICE office here in St. Louis. They are responsible for their um, transportation to Kansas City. Um, if they have an attorney, luckily, as attorneys, we're able to appear telephonically for our initial hearings. Um, but we have to travel to Kansas City for the trials. Um, we're asking families to find ways to get there. Um, sometimes that forces them to be driving without licenses and take that risk that they don't want to take. Um, but it is the system to have to, in order to have that cause. That's something they, you know, they have preparation to our, our immigration court is pretty backlogged as it is in every single state. Um, we're setting out cases for several years. Dr. Luby, just another source of uh, even more stress. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take another call. We're bringing Mark calling from St. Peter's. Mark, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, this is an obvious mess that's been created by multiple administrations. Um, you know, the previous administration basically had a de facto open border policy, which has evolved it into the mess that we got today. I'm curious, uh, your panelists there, are they pro-open uh, border policies, or, or should we have borders and are not? Where are they at on this? Well, we can ask them. We'll start, Christine, to you, then Meredith, and then, Doctor, if you want to chime in also. I don't believe it's the, the solution is open borders. I think there are laws, and we need to continue to follow those laws, but we also need to look at the make them just, make them available for people. We, have a, we are a country who wants to welcome immigrants. I think we've had that in our whole history, and I don't think that we, our laws reflect that at this moment. Meredith? As... Um, as an agency of Catholic Charities, St. Francis Community Services takes a, a lot of um, our positions based on Catholic social teaching. And part of the social teaching is, one, that countries have a right to maintain their borders. It also is that migrants have a right to migrate and they have a right to stay in, in place. So holding all three of those things in tension is difficult, I agree. And I don't think we've all come to the right answer yet. Um, but but I want to honor the dignity of all of the people that are presenting on our borders. And, of course, we should point out that the church, the Catholic church, has come out very strongly in opposition to what's going on they right have. now, right now. Yes. Dr. Luby, do you have a position? Well, what I would just say is um, I'm focused on enhancing the interests of children. And when we think as a society of the interests of children – um, these kinds of policies are absolutely reprehensible. I really think the current administration is the most hostile to the interests of children that I can think of in modern history. Mark, um, you have your answer. Okay, I'd also say that parents are making awfully poor decisions by putting their children in this situation in the first place by choosing to come here and enter the country illegally. So the parents have a tremendous amount of responsibility here, and they're transferring that and expecting other people to take care of a problem they created. Mark, thank you so much for the call. That is something you hear a lot. Again, there are two sides to this uh, this story, and the parents do have to have uh, some responsibility for bringing the kids up. In some cases, I'm told that the, the, the children uh, that are sometimes brought up have been kidnapped so that the uh, adults coming through, because they have children with them, might get a little easier treatment, doctor. 
Mm-hmm. I suppose that there are cases of that. I mean, I think, again, this is an example where these these people are leaving a country for a very good reason. I mean, the issue has to do with the violence that they face in their home country. So um, if you try to put yourself in the position of that parent, um, what you're seeking is survival and safety um, and in the vast majority of cases. Right. One of the things that I've seen with regard to what your organization does is, is – is to recommend powers of attorney to be used. Would you explain, Christine, how that uh, how that applies? Yes, we want to make sure that families are prepared because with our enforcement policies the way they are today, um, there is a risk that families will be separated. Parents could be detained. Um, if they are arrested, they'll be detained, and they won't be home to, to care for their children here in St. Louis. So we have taken the time to help them prepare um, emergency power of attorneys in case something were to happen. They don't go to, into effect until, but it's a peace of mind that we found that many families um, want to just in case something terrible did happen. Who generally would hold the power of attorney? They find family members, um, sometimes an, an adult child, um, guardians, people that they know and they trust. Well, that sounds like a reasonable thing to mm-hmm. be to be doing, uh, Doctor Luby. I'll come back to you because it, I just wonder if there's any difference in the reaction to this sort of thing between young boys and young girls. I don't think there's a reason to think that there's any difference, that uh, children are vulnerable regardless of their gender. They're more vulnerable the younger that they are. Um, So that's why it was particularly horrifying to see the separations of infants from their mothers in in the recent days. You know, I think that's true, Don, but I I would say that culturally there are some cultural values that that come into play where Mm -hmm. the – um, expectations for boys and expectations for girls are probably different, and even what kinds of feelings they're allowed to express um, in terms of responding to the trauma that they've experienced. We have a listener, Ashley, who writes this email. Uh, why can't we have a way for volunteers to sign up to drive people to Kansas City for their court dates? Seems like a practical idea. Christine, what do you think? We do have an accompanying program, and we try to have people, if they need assistance, um, there are some agencies in St. Louis that are working on that, um, including the Archdiocese has some support. We've done some trainings there. Um, that might be a great option as we as we move forward. Well, people are certainly upset about this, a lot of them, so I think mm-hmm. many probably would uh, respond to something like that. Another call, Dave in St. Louis. Uh, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You know, I just want to remind everybody that all of this, you know, fervor over immigration was set up by some very vitriolic statements made by our current president the day that he announced he was running for office. Horrible statements about Mexican people. You know, um, everybody in America who was around for 9-11, you know, we saw people jumping out of those buildings. How bad must it have been for them? To decide to do that. So how bad must it be in Mexico, Honduras, and Guatemala for people to decide to come here? Those deterrents have always been in place. They've always been there. We can't be sold on all of these drug cartels, um, you know, and and then at the same time believe that they're just coming here for no reason. It's ridiculous. How important is our history and legacy of racism to perpetuate this crisis? I mean, when are we going to stop it? 
Dave, thank you so much for the call. Any comment uh, to those? One thing I would point out is the reason the drug cartels are are operating in Mexico as they do is because they have a pretty good market here in the United States, and that is certainly part of the uh, part of the issue as well. One more call, Tom in St. Louis. Uh, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, Don. Uh, well, what I'm calling about is this home country thing. Uh, you know, is, is there any interaction between the United States administration and the uh, the governments of Mexico, Guatemala? You know, south of the border, the caste system is still very much in effect. If you're not if you're not Spanish, if you're uh, if you're mixed race, you're Mexican or mestizo, your chance for social advancement within those countries is is slim to none. And therefore, you fall to the bottom and you want out at some point. And all these other things come to play that exacerbate the situation with the gangs and that. But are we are we trying to do anything with these countries to get them to change their philosophies towards the way they treat people who are not necessarily uh, in the top of the caste, so to speak? Tom, we have your point. Thank you, Christine. Do you want to take that or Meredith? You know, I I think I take the point. Um, I think our expertise lies in serving people that have arrived and perhaps not in those greater systemic issues. But, you know, there are advocacy groups here in St. Louis that work on those issues. You might consider connecting with the Interfaith Committee on Latin America, who you've had as a Mm -hmm. guest here, Don. Um, They're doing some fabulous advocacy work and thinking about how our policies um, affect those countries and what we need to be doing. One uh, One of the services that the Interfaith Committee you just mentioned provides is an accompaniment service. Uh, Christine, why don't you just tell folks what that is? So the accompaniment program is, it's a national program, but our off, our local um, efforts are to accompany people to their ICE check-ins or their ISAP, their Intensive Supervision Alternative Placement ISAP program. Um, they go to the check-ins with ICE because there's a fear that if they go, when a, a, a person goes to their check-in, that they could be detained. Mm-hmm. So we're there as the or members of the accompaniment teams are there to just watch. They don't get involved, but they observe what's happening and show them the support that they need. Do they have legal backgrounds? No. 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 They're just uh, just they're, observers. They're members of clergy. They're people that are interested, um, but interpreters, people that can just show their support to our brothers and sisters here. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap this up. I have one other question. We we focus primarily on on Mexican uh, migrants, if you will, uh, primarily because of what's going on on the border. But there are other nationalities coming into the country that you you ladies deal with. Um, how are they viewing what when they see what's happening down to the south? Do they express themselves with uh, any concern that they have that they might be somehow caught up in this? Have you had any conversations like that? I I, I have had calls when when new policies come out from clients wanting to know if it's going to affect their cases as well because they don't understand necessarily what the impact would be. A lot of times they don't, but when the different the travel ban came out, I mean, I had a lot of clients who wanted to know what was that was happening there. Mm-hmm. So I have that a lot. Right. I think our clients uh, across the mm-hmm. board just feel um, when, when there's negative attitudes towards one immig- mm-hmm. immigrant group, it affects all of the immigrant groups mm-hmm. in St. Yeah. Louis. Well, as I say, we have to wrap this up. But I'll ask uh, uh, each of you to put a period on this discussion. I'll start with you, Dr. Luby. What final thought do you want to leave with our audience? I guess the concern is, is that if we as a nation have such inhumanity that we can't take care of the young children 
Um, what, I mean, what does that mean for us as a society? It's it's really not just focused at immig- as, at immigrant children. It's a it's a generalizable phenomenon that catches like wildfire, and we need to address it immediately. Meredith. You know, we've had a lot of people ask, how can they help? And there's lots of different ways um, we could use donations to keep our programs going to support these immigrants. We have volunteer opportunities at our site and at other sites um, at immigrant service providers around. And then there's advocacy opportunities to, to call your government officials and tell them how you feel about these policies. We will put a link to your website on ours uh, so that folks can reach that uh, perhaps more easily. Thank right, you. Christine? I think the most important thing is that people continue to educate themselves and listen to what's happening and realize that every day is different and new policies are coming out. And so far, we haven't found a fair solution to what is happening on our border. Let's end it right there. I want to thank you all so much, Christine Walentic, staff attorney for St. Francis Community Services. Meredith Rataj is the site director and bilingual therapist with St. Francis. And Dr. Joan Luby is professor of child psychiatry at Washington University's School of Medicine. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Mm-hmm.